0: welcome back it's the next episode of how good it is a weekly podcast that takes a closer look at songs from the rock and roll era and we check out some of the stories behind those songs and the artists who made them famous my name is claude call and i'm a dad so i have to own my hokey humor i'm not mad at you for thinking that though anyway don't forget to check out the website and the twitter thing and i've got the instagram thing and of course the facebook page which can be found over at facebook.com slash how good it is pod I have a fine trivia question for ye today, and if you follow any of the show's social media outlets, then you'll know the answer to this one. Linda Ronstadt had lots and lots of songs get into the top 40 on the Billboard Hot 100 chart between the 1960s and the 1980s, but only one of them went all the way to number one. What song was that? I will have the answer for you later on. So, Tears for Fears is the band we're looking at today. Uh, The core of the band is uh, Roland Orzabal and Kurt Smith, who met when they were teenagers in Bath, that's in Somerset, England. Musically, they started out as session players for the band Neon, but their own debut came with their first band called Graduate. Now, Graduate had kind of a mod slash ska kind of sound, but definitely with an early new wave flavor to it. They released an album in 1980 titled Acting My Age, and their first single was this one, titled Elvis Should Play Ska. Elvis in this case would be Costello, not Presley. So the single did well in some European countries, but it missed the top 100 in the UK. In the meantime, however, they were feeling the influence of other artists like Talking Heads, Brian Eno, and Naked Eyes. In fact, they they worked with some of the members of Naked Eyes when they were still working with Neon. They changed the name briefly to History of Headaches, but they changed it to Tears for Fears, which is a phrase that derives from primal therapy, which was a rather popular form of psychotherapy around then. In fact, many of the songs on Tears for Fears' first album revolves around primal therapy. Pierce for Fears released their first album, The Hurting, in 1983, but it wasn't until their third single, Mad World, that they realized any real success. The song went to number three in the UK, and the album was huge over there. It got some attention on this Sunday Atlantic, but it was mostly on the college radio stations, which were still almost the only ones who were playing new wave music. In fact, I got to meet Kurt Smith in 1990 when he was doing a publicity appearance to support their third album, Seeds of Love. And he seemed a little bit surprised that I even knew the hurting was a thing. 1984 was the year that Tears for Fears really broke out worldwide with the release of their second album, Songs from the Big Chair, which came out in February of that year. The album was a stylistic departure from the synthetic feel, moving into more of a traditional pop sound, but still retaining some of those new wave elements. The album's title came from a book in a TV miniseries called *Sybil*, which was about a woman with multiple personality disorder who felt comfortable only when she was in the analyst Big Chair. Their rationale was that each song on the album had a personality of its own. And in fact, there was a title track which you're listening to right now, it's called Big Chair, didn't make it to the album, but it was released as the B-side of Shout, and so far as I can tell, you can only find it as a bonus track on the super deluxe edition of the album. So Shout was the first single off the album, but we're here to talk about the third single, Everybody Wants to the Rule the World. Having said that, there's an interesting twist about those singles. I'm going to come to that in just a minute. The song was written by Ian Stanley, Chris Hughes, and Roland Orzabal, and like so many songs I've covered in this space, it was a last-minute addition to the album. Orzabal brought two chords to Chris Hughes, and they originally put something together with the lyric, Everybody Wants to Go to War, which Orzabal didn't really like, at some point, they changed it to everybody wants to rule the world and the story goes that this was the trigger that got the entire song to fall into place now some people think that the line was crib from a 1980 song by the clash called charlie don't surf <laughs> So did Tears for Fears steal the line? Well, Joe Strummer told Musician Magazine that he once confronted Orzabal about it in a restaurant, telling him, you owe me a fiver. Strummer says that Orzabal reached in his pocket, pulled out a five-pound note, supposedly as compensation for the line. But the thing that struck me wasn't so much the title and its similarity to The Clash, but rather that two-chord thing, because it reminds me of a lot of a song by The Fix, which came out the previous year. Now here's the two-chord pattern from Tears for Fears. And here it is from The Fix's 1982 song, Stand or Fall. So I think that do I think that Orzabal stole that? Nah, not really. But they're similar enough to to me that it's interesting. The other important thing is that in Stand or Fall, those chords are the heart of the entire record. Whereas in Everybody Wants to Rule the World, they do appear throughout. But when you hear them clearly, it's only because they're being used as a little bit more than the lead-in to the verse that follows. It's that happy little synth that really carries the song. <coughs> Now, as I mentioned earlier, there was something to discuss about the singles off the album. Shout was the first single from songs from the big chair everywhere in the world except the United States. It was not the band's first U.S. single from that album. Mercury Records was the band's U.S. label. It was a version of Polydor, Polygram Records. Um, So they were related, but they weren't the same company. Uh, Anyway, Mercury thought that Shout wouldn't be a good debut single for the band, so they elected to wait for Everybody Wants to Rule the World, and then released Shout and then Head Over Heels afterwards. In retrospect, Kurt Smith said in an interview that it was one of those times when the record company was right and they were wrong. I'm pretty sure the video being out in heavy rotation on MTV didn't hurt either. The song went to number one in the U.S. as their first single to chart there, and it went to the top five in several other countries as well. And I think, and this is my opinion, that part of the appeal of the song is that from a lyric standpoint, it's a little bit of a Rorschach test, because some people think it's about achieving financial success. Some think it's about the Cold War, and back then it was U.S. and Russia, and now it's like U.S. and North Korea, and maybe back to Russia again. And still others think that it's all about the environment because of the line, turn your back on Mother Nature, all of which are fine, and I think that's why the song endures not only through multiple covers, but through multiple styles. And speaking of which... In 2013, Lord covered the song for the soundtrack of one of the Hunger Games movies, and she gave it a much darker sound, but also a much bigger climax. Now, Patti Smith retains the shuffling beat, but she still adds an overlay in folksy rock to it in her 2007 cover. I kind of dig how she's also singing like the opposite of what she should be doing. It's almost like she's singing her own harmony, but then the main line doesn't even come in. And I want you to check out one more. This is from 2001. It's by the rapper Naz. Now, you don't don't get all upset. It's ooh, rap, rap, rap. Let me tell you something. Like, you remember the song Hard Knock Life from Annie? There was a cover of it done by Jay-Z back in the uh, late 1990s, I think. And um, believe it or not, the composers of Hard Knock Life actually like Jay-Z's version better than their own. Anyway, Naz yeah. kept the chords and the guitar shuffle, but he's yeah. also added some yeah. lyrics to make it a more nice. personal piece. And he also oh. sampled a lot from the original yeah. version. Yo. Life, they wonder, can they take me under? Nah, never that from the house in tenabit buildings a limit it killing sinister for death better known as the projects with junkies and rockets dwell though i owe to it my success with survival of the fittest every day as a child i would think i'm a part of USA and be proud in front of racism started to feel far foreign like the darker you are, the real your problems here we go and now it's time to answer today's trivia question way back on page 2 i asked you to identify linda ronstadt's one and only number 1 record on the billboard hot 100 be this song you're no good from 1975 several of her songs have gone to number one on the adult contemporary or the country chart or reached the top spot in canada but only you're no good made it to number one on the billboard hot 100 and it happened the week of february 15th 1975 in fact the the song only spent one week there and before dropping to number eight the second week I'm thinking a part of the song's success came from the fact that she'd been singing it as the closing number to her concerts for a couple of years at that point, so there were a lot of fans who were finally able to get their hands on a copy. And oddly enough, Ronstadt herself has said in interviews that she wasn't especially happy with her performance on that record, but she loves the job that the band did. And I think you go back and listen to it, man, that band, they do a hell of a job on this record. I just love this coda. And that's a full lit on another edition of How Good It Is. If you're liking the show, please take the time to share it and maybe even leave a rating somewhere. If you want to get in touch with the show, you can email us at howgoodpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can follow the show on Twitter or Instagram. Yes, I am on Instagram now at Pod. You can also visit, like, and follow the show's Facebook page at facebook.com slash howgooditispod, or you can check out the show's website, howgooditis.com, where you might find a few extra bits. Thanks as usual to Podcast Republic for featuring the show, and next time around, we're going to stick with Linda Ronstadt and find out how good it is when she's playing a different drum. Thanks for listening, and I will talk to you next time.